Hello, race fans, and welcome to another edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. I am your host, Scott Stiller. Coming up on this episode, we'll talk with A.J. Flick, the defending champion of the 410 Sprint Car Division at Lernerville. We'll also hear from Chip Ganassi Racing's NASCAR drivers, Kurt Busch and Ross Chastain, who steps in the number 42 Chevrolet this season. We'll also hear from Daytona 500 winner, Michael McDowell. First, we want to get you caught up with some news. As I just mentioned, McDowell picked up the victory in Sunday's season opening Daytona 500. McDowell reflected about the struggles in his career after the race. It's been a tough road for me, and um, I've had had to spend a lot of years grinding it out. But, you know, I finally have felt like this last four years, you know, been just been more competitive and, and greater opportunities with Front Row and Bob Jenkins and, you know, Daytona has been so good to us that we've, you know, we've been in the top 10, we've been in the top five, we've been close. And, you know, last lap, there's been times where I've made the wrong, wrong choice and wrong lane and pushed the wrong guy. And, um, it's just so hard to get in position and, and to, to do it. And, you know, to, to get my first cup win at Daytona, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. I'm just so thankful, thankful for everybody that just has allowed me to do it. It's, you know, it's not been an easy road and, and there's been lots of years where I was wondering what the heck am I doing and, and why am I doing it? And, um, I always knew that if you just kept grinding that, you know, one day everything will line up and it'll go right. And, um, but as you get further into it, you just don't know. Um, so I'm just, just thankful, very thankful to everybody that made it possible. Turned out to be a crazy race with a huge wreck 14 laps into the race when Christopher Bell attempted to bump draft with Eric Almarola on the backstretch heading into turn three. Attempted is the key word there as Bell didn't bump the number 10 Ford squarely, sending Almarola sideways into the wall in front of the rest of the field. 16 cars were involved in the crash, including Chip Ganassi Racing's Kurt Busch and Jamie McMurray, who was running a Spire Motorsports car with sponsorship from Ganassi partner Advent Health. After that pileup, it started raining and NASCAR delayed the race for over five hours. But instead of running the race on the Monday holiday, NASCAR decided to restart the race after 9 p.m. Eastern, I'm sure television had plenty to do with that. Once the race resumed, it was generally a boring single-file race, and the only time you really saw any racing was towards the last lap of the stages. Speaking of the last lap, the last lap of the entire race involved another massive pileup. This occurred when Joey Logano attempted to block his Penske Racing teammate Brad Keselowski, who had a big round down the backstretch with help from McDowell and others. When Logano moved down in front of Keselowski, the two-car had nowhere to go, slammed into the back of Logano. Those two went spinning in front of a whole line of other cars, including Kyle Busch, who slammed into Keselowski's car and turned that into a fireball. McDowell talked about the crazy last lap. I had a plan before the race started, and um, you never know if you're actually going to be in position to execute that plan because there's so much that can happen, right? I mean, you, you can get in the big one early on, and, um, you know, so having a plan is great, but it doesn't always work out. But I had a plan, and, and as it wound down to the last 10 laps, I was in a pretty good position. Um, not exactly where I wanted to be. And then we got a little bit shuffled and, and I think Cole, um, the 41 made a move and we were able to, um, you know, Brad and I stay together and, and I was in the position I wanted to be in coming to the white flag. And my plan was to push the two the entire lap until coming off of four. And when I came off of four, I was going to try to get to his outside or inside, but my plan was to stick with the two because I knew he was going to go for it. Um, I knew he wasn't going to ride there, but I also knew he wasn't going to pull out with three laps to go and try to get side by side with Joey or Kevin Harvick. And there was other Fords up there. So I felt like if I could just stay on his bumper, um, that would give me the opportunity when he did make the move to, to hopefully, um, you know, make a hole and make something happen. And, 
the whole happened on its own. I mean, I can't even tell you what happened. You know, Brad and I pulled down with a run and next thing I know, Brad was turning right, Joey was turning left and I went right through the middle of it. And, you know, I looked in my mirror and I saw Chase Elliott with a run and I went up there and blocked him as fast as I could. And, and we made a little bit of contact and, and, you know, just, I didn't see anything else from that point. It's just kind of a blur from there. Defending Cup Series champion Chase Elliott finished second, followed by Austin Dillon in third place in the number three. Elliott and Dillon had this to say after the race. Yeah, we definitely were, were trying to work together as the other manufacturers were uh, as long as we could. You know, uh, the top was just so fast. Like, uh, you know, unfortunately, there just wasn't an option. Um like Thursday night, I thought there was an option for the bottom and, you know, a few good cars could make ground and you, you had, you had a choice, but today, I mean, the top was just ridiculous and it made it to where nobody wanted to pull out of line until the very last lap. So that's, that's kind of what you got there to work with. But yeah, for me, I mean, I thought Chase and I, we worked really well together all night. We, we kind of lost some of our bullets in some of those wrecks with the Chevrolet camp and, um, we had gotten to a point where we were in a decent position and, and Ford had that front row for four cars or so, and just trying to wait as long as possible for them to start fighting for the win really. And, and, and it kind of happened uh, the way we wanted it to. We just, we we're really close, you know, I mean, we had two Chevys finish second and third. We needed a couple feet, both of us. Both drivers were frustrated that the race became a single file parade. From my perspective, and, and I think Austin was in the same boat, um, but just like I said a second ago, nobody wanted to pull out of line. And we were so afraid that, you know, there was only a, a few Chevrolets left right there at, at the end. You know, even if we had all got bunched up, we weren't, I know I was, wasn't sure whether or not it was going to be enough. And obviously everybody else was thinking the same thing because yeah, we just, everybody was content to ride around the top until the very last second. And that's what you saw. So um, yeah, just didn't think it was going to be, enough uh guys jump out any sooner than that lap to go to to make make anything happen yeah same here i mean uh, similar i mean it's hard when you're the manufacturers now are so tight and they're working together very well and um they had numbers on us there at the end uh, we had a couple more cars back there but it, the the speed that they were able to carry running wide open around the top it was it was tough and you're on older tires there uh at that stop so running the bottom it just works your tires harder and harder to keep the nose under the car and make speed but uh you know the 42 popped out i don't know it was probably six or seven to go and as soon as we got down there i could feel the momentum of our line start to die pretty quick and and it was one of those things like we got to get up fast and he wasn't able to get back up and, and i hate that for him but it was one of those things that those lines i mean it's, it's hard to to be that guy to to stick your neck out <laughs> because it, it is what it is. But I thought, like I said, we did a good job. We knew that they were going to have to race for the win at some point, um, the Ford camp, and uh, we, we got we gave, gave us a shot. The Daytona 500 took place on the 20th anniversary of Dale Earnhardt's unfortunate death. NASCAR likes to preach about safety and how they haven't had a fatality since 2001. Well, if they keep going down the path at Daytona and Talladega they're currently on, you're going to have more incidents. Didn't they learn anything from ryan newman's horrible crash last year i got ripped on social media for suggesting that nascar needed a blocking rule at daytona and talladega but they need to do something before somebody gets killed for example in sports cars and indie cars they have a rule where once the driver in the lead makes a move said driver can't make a move in reaction to what a trailing car does i like that rule if you apply that rule to what happened at Daytona, Logano would have had to make a commitment to either the high side or the low side. Once he does that, Keselowski can make his move, and Logano wouldn't be allowed to react to it. Logano would have had to hold his line, side-drafted Keselowski, did something along those lines, and hope someone else came to his aid in the draft. But therein lies the problem with the current high downforce low horsepower package that nascar is in love with right now logano wouldn't have had the horsepower to hang with keselowski unless he had drafting help once again i sit here and i call for less downforce and more horsepower for the cup cars you're always gonna have the draft at daytona 
But these guys are flat-footing around the two biggest racetracks they run, which to me is not driving. Make the drivers have to drive the car. And please, spare me the arguments about the next-gen car taking care of this. This has been going on since Bobby Allison ended up in the stands in the late 80s. And NASCAR just can't seem to wrap their head around a package that'll let the racers race, does not promote blocking, and won't get these massive pileups. But hey, NASCAR got what they wanted with the ending. They wanted small budget teams to be able to compete with the big teams and maybe win a race. Forget that three quarters of the field ended up with damaged race cars. 18 cars failed to finish all 200 laps because of some type of damage. At $500,000 a car, that's a whopping $9 million in damaged race cars. Think about that for a minute. And think about this. Let's connect some dots here. With the COVID-19 problems businesses are having, are companies going to be able to write these huge checks to these race teams if they keep racking up damage like that? It's going to be a drastically, drastically different sport if NASCAR doesn't get a grip on how they handle these two biggest tracks. Dale Earnhardt Jr. has added his name to the ownership group of the Music City Grand Prix. That's the NTT IndyCar Series race that is coming to Nashville in August. Jr. has been working to get a NASCAR race at the fairgrounds for years, so hopefully this will help him in that endeavor. Could you imagine a race weekend in Nashville where, say, they stage a truck race on the dirt at the fairgrounds on Thursday, followed by a weekend of IndyCar racing on the streets? Talk about an incredible weekend. To get up to speed with some of the other news in the racing world, including NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, click the Racing Notebook tab over at PittsburghRacingNow.com. We're looking for a partner for the Racing Notebook, so if you're interested in partnering up with us, you can reach us by email, pghracingnow at gmail.com, or you can message us through our social media accounts on Twitter and Facebook. Did you know that Pittsburgh Racing Now is partnering with Dirt Vision? Area race fans can stay up to speed with dirt track action from all around the country by subscribing to their Fast Pass. Simply click on the link in the right column of our website. Race fans, it's crucial to support our partners like Dirt Vision, Mr. Magic Car Wash, and Three Rivers Karting because these businesses believe in supporting local racing. Tell them you heard about them on Pittsburgh Racing Now. Shifting gears to the local scene, big local racing news this week as Cy Lynch announced his plans for 2021. Lynch is teaming up with Josh Bachman and Bachman Motorsports. Bachman spent the last three seasons teamed up with Aaron Reitzel. We're going to continue our focus on sprint cars right now, especially with the return of Western Pennsylvania Speed Week this year. Pittsburgh Racing Now is proud to be the media partner for the five-day event. This week, we had a chance to catch up with the driver of the Red Robin 410 Sprint Car, A.J. Flick. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast is the defending Lernerville Sprint Car champion, A.J. Flick. A.J., congratulations on another championship. Does it ever get old? First and foremost, Scott, thanks for having me on. I appreciate every time I get to come on here and BS with you. Uh, it never does get old. I mean, every single year, it seems like there's some sort of different predicament or something you have to fight through. And uh, it just makes every single win, every single title feel a little bit more different than the previous one. So um, no matter what happens, nothing here is cookie cutter. And it definitely made for the 2020 season to be pretty, uh, pretty cool for our championship, our fourth title at Lernerville. Well, you guys had a heck of a battle there with uh, Carl Bowser coming down the wire. And uh, one of the things that I've been talking with a lot of the race fans about is how competitive the 410 division has become and how competitive sprint car racing here in Western PA and obviously Central PA. Yeah, no questions asked. I mean, I think we had four or five different winners at Lernerville this year too. And um, starting from the back, uh, whether it be ninth or something because of the win, it definitely gives other people opportunities to get up front, uh, especially if the race goes caution free or anything like that. Um, I think we were pretty competitive, uh, and pretty consistent most of the year. It would have been cool to kind of sweep the entire season, but we couldn't get it done. And 
uh, there were a lot of good drivers that were able to secure some victories. And um, I know my buddy Mikey Bauer, he ended up picking up his first ever Lernerville win this year too. And uh, Cy Lynch got one, Jack Soderman got two, Max Stanball came in from Ohio and beat us one night. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good race season. It seemed like there was a lot of people that had a lot of speed. And I think that's the best thing for the race fans is every division out at Lernerville is competitive. Nobody just kind of jumps in and runs away with anything. We saw it in the 410s, and we saw it down through all of the Fab Four uh, divisions on Friday night. So it's another reason for race fans to gear up for 2021 for sure. Yeah, I think the Big Blog Modifieds might have the most competitive division of all of us. Uh, the street stocks, I think, with them opening up the rules a little bit this year to match more of the Penn Ohio series, hopefully it should bring more cars and more competitive uh, competitiveness back to that division. And hopefully late models and sprint car guys uh, can still continue to put on good shows themselves. And I mean, I've, I've been through it. I've been to many races and uh, I've seen a lot of drivers that have won a lot of races and um, the drivers always want to win, but the fans don't like people that always win. So uh, they get tired of every tired of it every now and then but every driver that out every driver that's out there trying to win wants to do it every single week so it's uh kind of cool to see what kind of effort the drivers put in versus how the fans take it what's the key to being consistent consistently up front because there are so many variables in racing especially dirt racing because you really don't know what kind of surface you're going to have from one run to the next and one weekend to the following weekend yeah, I think what you just said is exactly the main key on being consistent. Um, you have to be good on all kinds of surfaces, and a lot of that comes down to uh, hot laps, qualifying, heat races, and features. You can be on the speedway three, four different times a night, and each time the surface is going to be different. So if you can't read that surface, predict that surface, drive that surface, or set up for that surface, you're not going to be good on that surface. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, – Drivers like Donnie Schatz and Steve Kenzer are absolute legends of the sport because they're not just good on one surface, and they've proven that they can dominate their competitors on any surface. You know, you kind of brought something up with Schatz, and I, I was thinking about last year and, and Larson diving down low in turn one, and I, I don't know how the hell he got that car to stick through one and two and you know just an incredible year that he had can you learn by watching someone like that try different lines do you when you go out there do you realize well i got to try it here and if it's not working there i gotta try somewhere else i mean what's the secret sauce so to speak yeah i mean i think you can definitely learn from the driver um but i do think the most important aspect is to try and learn from the the car and the crew chief and paul silva i think there's uh I think there's a really good race car under Kyle Larson. And when you put that on, uh, on the track with his talent, it makes it almost unbeatable. Um, there's a lot of drivers that I'd like to see in that 57 silver car that I think could do very, very well as well. Uh, maybe win the same races, but with Kyle Larson's talent, he'd probably still win them by more. So, um, I think that's a lot of it. And a lot of that stuff is, uh, I don't want to say hidden. It's not really secret. You can all see it, but, uh, the way the puzzle pieces go together for the 57, it's way more complete than, anything that my team has been able to figure out over the past couple of years. And uh, a lot of it boils down just to experience and talent as well. Uh, I mean, we've only been in, uh, in the sport of sprint car racing for seven, eight years now where uh, Kyle Larson has been in it since he was 13. I think he's almost 28, 29 now. Paul Silva has been fielding uh world of outlaw winning race cars for a very long time with very competitive drivers. So I mean, their their research and due diligence has paid off and very good dividends for those guys, and uh, they're absolutely deserving of all the success they have. And um, hopefully I can just uh, snoop around, try and figure out some tips and tricks and watch some videos of Kyle Larson, hopefully perfect some of my uh, driving talent here in the near future, and we can start rattling off wins too. I think you're off to a pretty good start, though, for being around for seven years. you got four <laughs> Lernerville track titles. You've done pretty well. We do all right. I mean, as a as a driver, you can understand that uh, you always want to you always want to be better. You always want to win more races, and um, there's no driver out there that's going to win every race he goes to. And uh, that's the same with um, Donnie Schott, Steve Kenzer, Sammy Swindell, the greatest drivers in the history of the sport. Still don't have an over fifty percent winning percentage. And um, what Kyle Larson did last year was absolutely incredible. And I still think he was even under fifty percent. So 
it just goes to show how difficult the sport is, not just because you have to be on your game all the time, but uh, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't have the luck involved, you're not going to win races. So what have you been doing in the offseason? How have you been passing the time? Uh, um, playing hockey with some friends, uh, getting race cars torn apart, put back together, just trying to clean up, make sure the garage is prepared, uh, talking, with all, talking with all my sponsors, partners, just finalizing everything, ready to get rolling for the 2021 racing season. Uh, if you don't start off with all your ducks in a row and you're out of whack and you're unorganized, you're not going to get caught up throughout the season, and it uh, usually doesn't lead to good results. So um, there's a lot that goes involved in racing, and I think organization and preparedness is definitely one of those key aspects. So it's definitely what we focus on a lot during the off season. And if there were any issues we encountered with those aspects uh, through the 2020 season, we make sure we attack it and fix it for the 2021 season. It's a lot of process and procedure, which I think a lot of the fans don't quite wrap their head around. They just think you guys pull the truck into the, into the pits, unload the car, boom, out you go. And, uh, the amount of effort you guys put in behind the scenes during the week, Monday through Thursday, or whenever you know, whenever you're not racing, you're either working or working on your car or working on the business side of it. And I think sometimes that you know the hardcore fan gets it, but I think a lot of the casual sports fan they they really don't understand. Despite this being a passion for you guys. It, there, there's so much work that goes into it. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what a typical week is like for you between, uh, say, when you're done running for the weekend, what your Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday is like getting prepared for the following week? Yeah, I mean, uh, just to give you an idea on how our years went last year, we pretty much ran after the COVID epidemic, uh, more or less, I don't want to say ended, but once it slowed down and things started to reopen a little bit uh, in June or July, rain really wasn't an impact for us. We pretty much ran nonstop all year long. So most of our uh, race weekends consisted of uh, racing Friday at Lernerville, Saturday at Port Royal, and then Sunday at a certain location, more than likely Tri-City. So basically uh, what would happen is uh, Thursday we would load up, get everything uh, prepared in a trailer, and um, we would come back home. Uh, well, not come back home, but, uh, load everything up, um, go to work on Friday. Uh, we'd get off work four thirty, five o'clock, go head up, run, learn real, uh, be there all night. Maybe get back home by midnight, one o'clock at the latest, uh, unload that car, uh, go to bed. I'd probably wake up around uh, 8 a.m., 9 a.m., go back down to the race car garage, uh, wash that car, start prepping it, head back out to Port Royal. We'd have to leave by noon because it's about a three hour drive for us. Uh, get there when the gates open, hang out at port until 11 or 12. And then that was always the rough part because uh, once those races ended, we had a three-hour drive back home. So pull back into the garage probably three, four in the morning. Um, there's been some nights we pulled back into the garage when the sun's come up just because rain has delayed the race or anything of that nature. So uh, that always makes it pretty rough. And then however many hours of sleep you get, you get. And you're back up by uh, eight or nine o'clock again, reprep the car, wash it, uh, leave by one o'clock, two o'clock to head to Tri-City, about two hours north in Franklin, PA. Uh, race your night there, hopefully get a good finish. Come on back home, be home by midnight or 1 a.m. again. Uh, unload the race car, try and get the mud out of the garage as quick as you can, and then uh, head back up, go to sleep, wake up on Monday, start your work week all over again. And then uh, most nights in the garage, I was down there uh, by 7, 38 o'clock after I ate dinner and after I got off work, and then end up uh, staying in the garage till a lot of nights I was down there till one thirty, two a.m. just trying to make sure everything was cleaned up and listening to some music on my own and um, just kind of mellow out a little bit down on the race car garage and uh, get all the cars cleaned up, check the motors, check the rear ends, change any gears I needed to, uh, clean everything up, fix anything that was damaged from the week before, whether it be rocks, an accident, whatever it may be, and then uh, work your butt off for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Thursday night load back up. So you can work on Friday, and as soon as you're off, Get ready, go race in Lernerville, start the weekend over again. Now, for some of the fans that don't understand why you go to Port Royal on Saturdays versus maybe running Sharon or PPS, explain to them why. Uh, a lot of factors. Um, number one has to be the purse. Uh, Port Royal Speedway is 
um, one of the nicest racing facilities in the nation, if not the nicest. Um, it's up there, rivaled with uh, Charlotte Eldora and Knoxville, no questions asked. Um, the purse pays fantastic. I think we're getting uh, 4,600, somewhere around there, 36 or 46. I forget which one it is, but um, it's at least $4,000 uh, to win every single week. And um, second place is still almost uh, 1,800 or two grand. And then even for six, I think you can walk out of there with over $1,000, which is uh, extremely competitive. Obviously, the talent competition uh, out there is incredible as well. So, I mean, you're racing against a lot of good people and you're learning every single time you're on the speedway. Uh, and that's not taking anything away from the racetracks around here, but uh, the pay just, uh, it's not quite worth it, especially if you have a bad night. Uh, you can go out to Port Royal, have a bad night, still come home with a couple hundred more dollars than what you normally would here at a local show. And um, I love racing Sharon, but uh, I, it's two hours west for us to get to Sharon and it's three hours east for us to get, get to Port Royal. So for the difference in uh, pay and competition, it just makes so much more sense for us to go to Port Royal. And you also have a sponsor connection partly over there, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we partnered up with the Red Robin Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group. Uh, they've got 22 locations scattered all across uh, Central PA, Eastern PA. And uh, we love to get out there to support those guys. Um, every time we can, we're real close to the Carlisle, Mechanicsburg, Hershey, Sealings Grove locations. So when I can go in there, grab a grab a uh, double gourmet cheeseburger man it tastes good i hear you there i could kind of go for one right now you Did I talk a- you into one huh <laughs> yes very easily too when you're hungry one of the things you touched on about the purse and i think one of the things that we need to uh, i would like to preface it by saying is you know it's it, it's very unique in central pa because they don't have the competition of the Steelers, the Pirates, or the Penguins. It is, uh, I don't want to say a bigger show over there, but it is more in the sports consciousness of people in Central PA because they don't have the easy access to professional sports that a Western Pennsylvania sports fan has. Would you agree? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I think you hit on a lot of uh, what goes on behind the scenes as well. Um, the other thing I want to touch on too is even Western PA at one point did have that fan base. It just didn't seem like we were able to keep it over the past 20 or 30 years, like what central PA has. And it, it could be a lot because of uh, the professional sports teams and the impact they have on the local uh, area, especially in Western PA. Um, but it could obviously just be uh, speedways and, uh, the competition may have dropped off and it, uh, it eventually just over the years let the fan base deplete a little bit. And um, even though I think things are in a very good spot in Western PA right now, they might just not be back to normal. And there's so many things for people to do nowadays. So it's hard to try and get that community back to what it originally was. The Central PA group never seemed like they lost a step. Uh, the purse has always increased. The competition was always there. They still have a lot of very wealthy car owners out in that area. Uh, the drivers out there are still incredible drivers. They could still beat any of the outlaws and all-stars that come into town, which is definitely something that the Western PA guys and myself have a lot of trouble doing. And I do think that uh, knowing what kind of ability and speed those guys have out there is definitely one of the reasons why the fan base is just always amped up. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I think, you know, one of the things uh, I think it's incumbent upon the tracks and the promoters in this area is we need to reach out to the younger fans and get them interested. You know, when I was growing up, there were places like Heidelberg that was still around. Uh, and, and then PPMS ended up with half the Heidelberg's press box and grandstands. So, uh, I was raised on it from a young age. I think my dad, first time I went to PPM or first time I went to Heidelberg, I think I was five. And I think we, as promoters, they can't be complacent in, uh, like my generation coming to the racetrack, they need to be proactive and go after the younger generation, kind of like how the Penguins did with their student rush. They need to come up with something other than just a cheap ticket price to say, hey, students get in for, you know, five bucks or 10 bucks or whatever. And I think it's incumbent upon the tracks 
the promoters. I know the teams do it. You know, uh, any driver I talk to, anytime they get a chance to interact with a fan, it doesn't matter, young, old, in between, they take that opportunity. So I think there's a. I think you touched on something that I think going forward is going to be key for the tracks in our area. Yeah, I think you are 100% correct. I mean, it's gruesome to say, but uh, eventually the diehards are going to die off. And if you don't have anybody else to replace that, um, then it's not going to happen. And uh, you're not going to be able to just pull kids off uh, the diehard group. Um, You're going to have to bring, you're going to have to figure out a way to bring in a new community. And it's like we said earlier, there's so many things for people to do now not just kids, but any age group um, to go outside on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, uh, go anywhere they want, uh, go find any entertainment, any food, whatever it may be. There's just so many things to do. So I absolutely agree with you, Scott. I think there's something that Speedways have to do uh, to bring a new community in. And based off what uh, you were saying earlier with Heidelberg, like that's a racetrack that's been gone for decades now. So um, it's, a lot of the a lot of the issues with maybe why the fan base dropped is simply because there was so much racing to do back then and so many races on weekdays at so many different racetracks across the area and now it just seems like racetracks are becoming uh scarce and uh even you know um recently uh the western pa circuit has picked up their sprint car racing we used to not really have many options besides Lernerville on friday mercer on saturday and then sharon started putting more shows in tri-city opened back up um, so Thunder Mountain's been putting on one or two shows every year now. So uh, Latrobe opened back up. So uh, there's just a lot of really cool things that tracks are starting to do now. And I do think it's because we're starting to get a bit more drivers in. The fans are starting to come back to the speedway. But yeah, to take it to the next level, they have to start figuring out ways to, to bring that new group into. One of the things that might help is the announcement a couple of weeks ago that Western Pennsylvania Sprint Speed Week is coming back for 2021. They're going to run uh, Mercer on a Thursday, Thunder Mountain, or Mercer on Wednesday. Thursday will be Thunder Mountain. Friday, Lernerville. Saturday, Sharon. Sunday, Tri-City. What did, when you heard about it, what were your initial thoughts? I thought it was awesome. Um, We've never had something like that for a very long time. Uh, I've been in sprint car racing since 2014. That was my rookie year, and Obviously, we haven't had uh, any sort of Western PA Speed Week since then. I don't even know when the last time we had one was, whether it was in the 90s or 2000s, but I'm pretty sure it was definitely uh, before I cared about running sprint cars. So uh, I do want to give a shout-out to Tyler Bikner, everything that uh, that man has done to try and bring Western PA Speed Week back. And I want to give a shout-out to all the speedways that are involved in this to try and take a step out and increase the purses, be a part of this program, uh, Mercer taking a risk to run on Wednesday, Thunder Mountain to take a risk to run on Thursday. That's pretty cool what those guys were able to do. And all the partners such as uh, Schaefer's Oil as well as uh, Vova Excavating that all jumped on board to try and make this purse increase and be partners for this program. Um, A lot of people are taking risks here, and I just hope that uh, it pays off for all the tracks. I hope all the drivers show up. I hope all the uh, fans show up. And when it comes down to it, uh, if somebody's good enough, they can take home $15,000 and whatever the purse is within five days of racing. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I think the best part about it for the drivers, uh, I think it's all these tracks are within 250 miles. So you're not going to be logging a ton of miles and it's fairly doable, fairly easily, if that makes sense. 100%. And most people nowadays will already run Lernerville Friday, Sharon Saturday and Tri-City Sunday. So uh, it's relatively easy for the working man to at least schedule two half days off uh, to run Wednesday and to run Thursday at Mercer and Thunder Mountain, which is exactly what I'm doing. So basically one full day of vacation is going to allow me to run uh, at least two extra shows, have another shot at 6000 extra dollars. And um, the uh, Sharon purse was always 3000 to win. So that's pretty much stayed the same. But I know Lernerville's purse is increasing for that night, so that's pretty cool. And then uh, Tri-Cities Purse is increasing for that night also on that Sunday portion, the finale of Western PA Speed Week. So, like I said, I mean, if you're good enough, uh, you've got a shot at bringing home some decent money there. And I've heard some rumors about maybe some Ohio guys trying to give that uh, five-day stretch a swing. And, man, I just hope that that's not going to be the week that uh, Mother Nature decides it's going to rain for six, seven days straight. I share that sentiment. I hope that doesn't happen (laughs) either. 
will you run all five or would you take Saturday off and go to Port Royal like you're like you typically do or would you make an exception for that week uh it's going to depend and I'm not afraid to tell anybody that um my dad and I have talked about this and what uh opportunity it presents for the race team uh being the western PA speed week and the amount of money they have there uh basically what it comes down to is how good we're doing after the first three nights and when we leave Lernerville, we're going to basically look at the weather, um, see how that looks, uh, two hours east in Ohio versus another three hours, or two hours west in Ohio and another three hours east in uh, Port Royal because that five-hour difference between tracks really could make uh, the entire world of a difference. So we'll look at uh, we'll look at all the weather. We'll see what position we're in. Um, and then obviously we got to wait and figure out what the points pedal purse is as well once that gets released through Western PA Speed Week. So. I mean, if we're in a good position, it's going to be hard to hard to argue against trying to stay there and try and uh, pick up the Western PA title. But uh, especially knowing that we've been very good at Sharon recently, and uh, also Tri City was probably just going to be a regular night race for us anyway. So, uh, I mean, hopefully, you never know if uh, if we start off with uh, three very good finishes and everybody else has been wildly inconsistent, we might be able to skip a night, come back Sunday, and still a shot at it. I don't want to say that's what's going to happen, but uh, it'd be pretty cool if everything worked out that way for us where we didn't have to fight and argue about uh, where to go on Saturday. How are your 2021 plans shaping up? What can you share with us? Do you have your uh, uh, your deals done? Uh, where are you at in process? Uh, what can you share with us? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think every every sponsor has been able to come back on board for AJ Flick Racing, which I'm very, very appreciative of. Uh, Ferguson Heating and Air Conditioning, Fence Light and Maintenance Service, Red Robin Gourmet Burgers, Trinate Construction, J.D. Byrider, Johnny Carpet, Stanford's Glass Service, they've all been able to recommit for 2021, which has been really cool, and it definitely takes a lot of weight off my shoulders. Uh, their backing is basically allowing us to continue to run very similar uh, race seasons like what we have in 2019 and 2020. Obviously, with our work schedule, We'll still focus on Lernerville as much as we can on Fridays, and if we can branch out anywhere else, we'll try and get to it. Uh, Saturday, we'll still be as much committed to Port Royal as possible, and as long as Ohio gets opened up, we'll still be able to hit Sharon uh, about five or six times, which we weren't able to do last year because of the lockdowns. Sunday looks pretty cool. Um, we'll still get to Tri-City any night we can, uh, but I have seen some races at the action track at Coonstown. Uh, there's going to be a cool 410 race there, and we also get back to one of my favorite tracks, Path Valley for a uh, race it's not PSP week this year but i do think it's uh, partnered up with macri concrete so i imagine they'll have some pretty cool incentives going on if uh, you can win that race uh, a lot of the race car drivers there and on top of that i've seen Sillings grove have some races as well so uh that'll be back out in central pa territory i can help advertise my red robin guys and meet all the fans out in central pa and uh based on the schedule i have have up on my website ajflickracing.com we have one heck of a schedule planned, a lot of races we can try and get to. Uh, if there's anybody out there that wants to learn and work on sprint cars, please let me know, reach out to me, and we'll see if there's anything we can do to kind of teach you. And hopefully you can join the team because uh, a lot of my crew guys have other commitments as well some nights. So any extra hand is going to be needed, but we're, we're going to do everything we can to just go out, try and win races, learn as much as we can, and just represent our partners and our sponsors uh, night in and night out. That's a great opportunity. I was talking with a promoter not in Pennsylvania. I was actually out in Indianapolis a couple of years ago, and uh, he said one of the things that they did is that they reached out to the tech schools uh, that teach automotive mechanics, automotive maintenance, automotive uh, body work, and they invited those guys uh uh the the kids that were in school out to the test and tune day they had before the season even started and i thought that was a brilliant idea and he said the idea was twofold one is he said it was an idea for us to attract fans and how many of these kids can come out he said but it also gave them an opportunity he said we gave them all pit passes so they could wander around in the pits and he said and a couple of the kids ended up going to work for a couple of the teams. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great idea. No questions asked. I've never thought anything like that, but uh, those kids are literally trying to get through tech schools to work on cars. And uh, it's crazy how many people don't actually realize there is an entire industry of racing uh, very close to them. Normally they can see them on Friday nights and Saturdays, but they don't ever make the time to do so. So yeah, I mean, to reach out to uh, tech school like that, I think that's a great idea. 
So we're excited about uh, your prospects for 2021. If anybody wants to partner with AJ Flick Racing, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Through your website? Uh, yeah, through my website. I have a little contact page, and um, I usually don't give out uh, my personal number or my email uh, through interviews or anything like that. But we usually have a contact page, or if you want to reach out to me at AJ Flick Racing on Facebook uh, or even Complete Chaos 2 on Twitter or Instagram, whatever's easier for uh, the partners, that'd be fine. Um, we have a lot of incentives, a lot of programs, anything I can do to help funnel business to you guys as well. Anytime we can do that, I think that's the majority of what makes a good partnership work. Absolutely, without a doubt. Hey, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. We will catch up with you at the track this year. And uh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Absolutely. Can't wait to shake your hand again, Bo. When I see you at the races, let's get some dirt in our hair. Always great to get to talk to AJ. Best of luck to him in 2021. And for all of you AJ Flick fans, don't forget, Pittsburgh Racing Now's Lou Long covers Central Pennsylvania dirt track racing. Lou's back with us for 2021, so look for his reports from Central PA all season long. Tired of a dirty car? Mr. Magic Car Wash will have your vehicle looking new again in just minutes, even those tough-to-clean wheels. Try us out at any one of our five convenient South Hills locations for a car wash you won't soon forget. Sunday's Daytona 500 was the start of the third season of racing for Kurt Busch with Chip Ganassi's team. Busch was an innocent victim of the lap 14 accident. Busch sat down for a Zoom call with members of the media before the 500 and one of the things Kurt talked about is his maturity over the years in the sport. I feel confident in who I am, what I've done in this series, what I've done in, in all of motorsport. And this is that point in my career where it's easy to give back and it's easy to help young crew members, engineers. Uh, I, I'm in a perfect situation now with uh, being a mentor to Ross Chastain, who I think is an up and comer in the NASCAR Cup Series. So it's, uh, it's just fitting into that role and being confident with, with all my moves. And Chip Ganassi uh, himself and this racing program has brought the best out in me. Bush also reflected about his time in NASCAR and says the sport has a bright future. Yeah, this has uh, been an incredible run. Uh, I'm a beneficiary of the, the safety era in all of motorsports, but primarily NASCAR. Um, you know, with the safer barriers, a Hans device, the seats, uh, everything that we've added to these cars to make them safer. Uh, I'm a beneficiary. I've seen a lot happen over the over the couple decades. And the TV package in 2001 with Fox taking over and NBC, there was this energy and this this overall aura about NASCAR. And I'm feeling that same thing here in 2021. With the, the next-gen car on the horizon, uh, a, a group of young drivers, young guns coming in and trying to take out the veterans, you know, it's, it's that same feel. And so I'm really happy with, with the way the sport has transitioned with technology, uh, the advancements of safety, the TV aspect of it. Uh, it's a shame right now, though, we don't have our fans in the grandstands, but of course we have that many more extra viewers watching on TV. And so it's an important time with the TV package and shaking up the schedule a little bit. Uh, this is the first time I've seen this many changes since 2001 with new venues and, and new tracks with new schedules. And so all in all, it's, uh, it's, an, a, it's a good, refreshing time right now. And I love the tagline of uh, greatest year ever in NASCAR. It seems that way. Bush also talked about the way NASCAR crowns its champion. Pay close attention to this, you Steelers fans. Well, I feel like NASCAR did a great job back in 2004 to create the playoff atmosphere. And you had a regular season, and then you had the 10 races that separated themselves as playoff races, as chase races, as the way and, and the avenue to win a championship. It's still the same, even though there's these cutoffs of three races at a time, getting from 16 down to 12 drivers, down to eight. And those guys with bonus points usually worked their way right to the final four. And what we saw this year with Kevin Harvick not making it, it's very similar to football where you have, let's just say Tom Brady had to go on the road 
to beat all those other teams to work his way to the Super Bowl. That's an underdog style team that didn't even know who they were going to end up playing the next week. And you have to adapt and you have to take in what's going to show up next week. And so everybody knows that we're going to this track for this sector and you've got to do your job to get through that round. And whether you have a points cushion or whether you don't, ultimately there's, there's the black and white task of I've got to get this many points ahead of this other guy to advance. And so it's a bona fide championship system that's very clear to understand. And you have to go out there and perform each and every week within what it takes to advance. It's not just a given when you've performed good all year. Uh, ask the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they were undefeated till about week 11. And then uh, they've, they've now uh, fallen off the map because they didn't perform in the playoffs. Bush will have a new teammate this year in Ross Chastain, who steps into the number 42 Chevrolet. The number one thing about Ross Chastain is his work ethic. Uh, that, that can never be questioned. His commitment level to making it to this level, uh, it's, it's been second to none. And uh, his track experience is solid. Um, you know, he knows his weaknesses. He has his strengths. And again, it's the intimidation factor of a top-tier car, full-time ride. And he's like, man, what happens if we have a bad race at Daytona? Or what happens if I slip up at, at uh, Vegas or something? I'm like, hey, man, just relax. Let's get these first five races under your belt, and we'll come back and circle around. And so that, to me, is just showing his eagerness, his desire to do well, but also his nerves. And we just have to get those calmed down by running some reps. Um, so limited track time. Uh, he's got to do a good job of understanding the stages as well as the full completion of the race and then to keep expectations in reality. You know, a, a top 25 finish is, is a great check mark. A top 15 is a really solid day. And to come away with a top 10 early in the season, that's what I would call a win for a rookie type guy like him. Bush's old teammate, Kyle Larson, was fired last season for using a racial slur. Larson is back after completing NASCAR's road to recovery. He's in the number five Hendrick Motorsports Chevy. Bush talked about what he expects from his old teammate. Yeah, I think we saw a good dose of that in 2020 with how he handled uh, the departure from Chip Ganassi Racing and how he elevated his game to a whole new level on the dirt circuits everywhere. Um, I was texting him after win, after win, after win, and I got behind after about the uh, 20th win. And ultimately, uh, the, the way he presented himself, the way he carried himself, um, showed his initiative with NASCAR on um, rectifying the problem and, and going through the, the road to recovery. Um, and, and just everything about him last year shows what he's going to bring to the track in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2021. Uh, the professionalism of Hendrick Motorsports has never been questioned. The guidance there uh, and just everything that I'm seeing adding up is that once he gets the feel of the car and once he's uh, you know, in sync with his crew chief, they're gonna be a tough train to stop. I, I see that program as being one of the top contenders already. During the off season, Bush jumped into a dirt modified to start to get prepared for the season. That modified was prepared by GMS Racing, and Kurt said it was good to knock off some rust on the dirt. Well, for me, uh, it, was, it was fun to get back in a car and just fire up you know, a big, big engine with horsepower and then to, to go around the dirt track. Uh, it was Elkin, North Carolina. We went to uh, Friendship Speedway just to, in all honesty, knock off the cobwebs and the cobwebs of my dirt racing, uh, which go back to the mid-90s. I mean, that's, that's a fun thing to say as a, as a current cup driver. Uh, I've got a couple starts at the Prelude up in Eldora with Tony Stewart's race. But in all honesty, it was Mike Bean, who uh, I worked with at KBM at Kyle Busch Motorsports. He gave me a call and said, hey, we've got some modifieds here. Come on out. And that's the same style modified I drove on asphalt. Uh, back in the 90s, but it blended me back in with my dwarf car roots. Uh, dwarf cars are very similar to legend cars on the dirt. 
Uh, but ultimately, Bristol will be a whole different track, uh, a whole different complexion. What I've done there in the past is irrelevant for the spring race. Uh, it's just the motivation to go after something new and to go after something different. Uh, it's the same motivation when um, Bruton Smith, Marcus Smith, and everybody changed over the Charlotte track to the Roval. And I attacked that whole sequence with practice and simulators and ultimately sat on the pole for the Roval and picked up a top five finish. I'm doing all I can to prep for this dirt race at Bristol uh, because that's what my team wants me to do. And that's what I need from them to bring the best possible car to win this race. Bush was also asked with guys like Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, and Chase Elliott jumping into sprint cars, might he give one a try? The Chili Bowl would be a fun factor bucket list item, but it's not relevant to prepping for the big heavy stock cars uh, that we're going to have at Bristol. And so it, it's sticking with something that's in the, the space, the genre of a cup car. So Xfinity, truck, uh, that modified was a good taste. And so the next step is researching what's racing the week of Bristol and prepping to get into possibly one of those, um, you know, sportsman style races. Uh, but again, nothing's going to simulate the big heavy cup car and our race is 250 laps at this race. You know, the, the place is going to glaze over after 50 laps and there's no dirt track anywhere where you can prep to get that type of experience. So it's a learn as you go and it's a doing it as a team at Chip Ganassi Racing to find all the right proper sequences to prep. During the offseason, Bush tested NASCAR's next generation car on the Roval at Charlotte. And then the next day, he jumped and did some laps on the Oval. The first test session was on the Roval. Uh, so it was on the road course where there's not a, hot, a lot of corners with high load. The high load issues with the steering were discovered on the Oval. And uh, the, the, the feel and the steering was so far off that it made Truex and I look at each other awkwardly, like we're going to be on tiptoes around each other with the sequence of trying to learn the arrow. And so that was a, a wide eyes wide open moment for NASCAR, for the teams, um, and, and then the other drivers that were asking me about it. And so the improvements we made were in the steering to number one, be able to handle the loads of the oval. Number two, give it the, the proper feedback to dial in the setup. And then number three, one big thing I'm trying to keep track of is, is I know different drivers driving styles and some people like faster steering boxes. Some people like slower, some want less feedback through the wheel, some want more. And it's a, it's a driver preference and we need to get that big box opened up for everybody to choose what they want, but also have the reliability in the steering system because we came into a couple of sequences where there was um, the lack of pressure through the the steering valve and the t-bar that uh, that was designed and engineered as a change didn't work properly so some of it's troubleshooting some of it's just getting the feel and some of it's just creating a box that everybody will be able to find what they need uh, within the system so where we were and where we are now it's been great progress uh, different teams and team owners have, have called me and talked to me about it. And again, uh, it's a matter of finding the, the right element for everybody, the supplier, the feel for the drivers, and the, the pricing for the owners. The next biggest bullet point that I marked down was the exhaust heat. Uh, it's now a split exhaust system. So exhaust comes out the left and the right, which means the exhaust goes right underneath the driver on the left side. And so we need uh, better insulation, uh, more venting, and just a, a cooler situation because I've only driven the car in November and in January, and I would say that it was already on the hot side of what it felt like in the car after a 25-lap run. So I'm sure we can get that fixed. Uh, we'll have more venting and, and more airflow within the car later. Uh, but there's so many other good qualities about the car with the brakes, uh, the sequential gearbox, independent rear suspension, and uh, all kinds of different aero components that I know they can bolt on and take off to make the car as adaptable to all the different style tracks. So lots of positives all the way around and another full year of development 
will make a, a great introductory piece for 2022. Bush said he expects NASCAR to take the next-gen car to a dirt track for a test this year as well. I'm sure that'll be on the list this year to take the car to a dirt track and go and run some miles. Mm -hmm. And again, there's all those little things that pop up um, that you can't really quite forecast, whether it's mud in the radiator for overheating, uh, mud in the half shafts and in the axles or bearings. Uh, but you know, our car that we're designing and the next gen cars feel has a little bit of a rally feel to it with all the independent suspension and with all of the, the booties that protect the, the rotating pieces. So I'm sure there's plenty of pieces and things that will help uh, make the car as durable as possible for dirt racing. And yes, they, they should take it to a dirt track test and, and get some get some miles on it. But that hasn't been discussed yet. Bush finished up the interview saying that no plans have been set in stone for after this season. One thing I learned in 2020 is you have to be fluid. <laughs> that seemed to be the, the word of the year. And following that, uh, that stream, I feel like uh, w waiting on Ganassi, Monster, myself, uh, Chevrolet, all this will come together for the right reasons at the right time. As we mentioned earlier, Bush has a new teammate this year at CGR. Ross Chastain takes over the number 42 Chevrolet, and Chastain says he's already leaning on his Ganassi Racing teammates. I'm going to follow that guy's lead. Um, even on my media day, uh, I'm following him. So he's a good guy to follow, like like you said, man, champion. Uh, we've gotten to spend some time together this off season. Um, he came by the watermelon farm. We showed him, I showed him around a little bit. He got to meet some more of my family. Um, and we're not that different, um, in a lot of ways and, and just talking and just chatting about, about life and, you know, talking about race cars, talking about watermelons, talking about his, his childhood. Um, he actually ran some of the same series I did. And my dad did, uh, as a hobby, um, the same, fast truck series like the american race trucks so that was that was cool um to to talk about old times like that and um yeah just he's been there and he's done it and and the the depth of drivers and like the best role models that i can try to be like um, i've had some really good ones in my life obviously sorry obviously with my dad um but then you get into the the cgr fold and the the guys that chip has assembled and I mean, Scott Dixon, Dario Franchitti, these guys are just Jimmy Johnson. Like these are all guys that I've been able to now go to and, and ask questions. So um, Kurt is, is first and foremost closest and we're driving the same race cars. So um, I've bugged him with quite a few questions. Chastain has worked his way up the NASCAR ladder and he knows that this is his best shot at being successful. I mean, as a racer, yeah, I don't want to go fail. So there's, there is no alternative. Um, there is no, no plan B. I mean, yeah, the, the farm and can grow, go grow and sell watermelons. Uh, but yeah, as a racer, I just want to, I want to succeed and I, I want to do my job. So yeah, yeah, this is it. Chastain acknowledged he has an aggressive style, but says he knows he has a lot to learn about the NASCAR cup series definitely blend in more. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to let anybody pass. I'm not going to, you know, purposely run into anybody. I, I, I think that's been maybe embellished a little bit over the years and, and I haven't done any work to diminish it. I, I, I've embraced it and enjoyed, um, you know, how people view me and how people talk about me. And, and we've used it internally with the race teams that I've driven for over the last two years to, <clears throat> to really motivate and, and find that extra little bit of speed in those, the race trucks and the cars. And <clears throat> it's, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. You know, I would not trade anything like all those steps and all those, <clears throat> all those mistakes are what got me here. So, um, but yes, definitely blend in a little better. And I, I don't, I don't want or need a line of drivers or crew chiefs or anybody to be lined up at the car, um, you know, after these races, these, this is the premier series and, and I have to elevate to that level. I have a long way to go and this is going to be the biggest step in my career. One of the things Chastain is learning about in preparing for his first full-time cup season, he said it's been drastically different than anything he's done before. I had goals and we set very specific 
like, you know, ahead of these races, we started planning back when we, when we knew we were going to do this and what well, the end of the, the season and then really ramped it up as soon as Phoenix was over. I mean, we all took our holiday breaks for, for Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and new year's, but took that time to step away. But we've, we have been more diligent than I've ever been able to be with a team of time in the, in the Chevy simulator uh, and just, just talking, whether it's, it is on a zoom call sometimes or, or going and finding a big conference room and, and sitting probably 15 feet apart, but just talking with my, my core group of guys that I'm going to spend this year going to battle with and just getting that communication where, you know, they, they know what I mean when I say this and that I'm not a big, maybe not the biggest motivational speaker on the radio pre-race or post-race. And, you know, it's, it, that's the time to do our job. So, um, the, having those goals and having simulator sessions, a lot of them, I mean, I thought I did a lot in the past and I didn't even touch what we've done now. And, but having real, making real changes, just like a practice session. So we just focused on that, just like we were, we were testing in real life and then deciphering through and seeing what's real and not um, is for the smart guys on, on my team to do at CGR. And having those goals has been the biggest thing that's kept me on track. Keeping things in perspective is also going to be a key throughout 2021. We all have better laps or better days than, than others, whether it's in normal life or on the racetrack and making those bad days better and those good days great. Um, you know, keeping the, the mistakes down um, and staying like calm and cool. That's the biggest thing mentally. I've just tried to, I mean, we won't, I won't know until I get in the car, but just really try to, to just be a better person inside the car and have a better outlook and and not worry as much whenever something doesn't go how I think it should. So um, controlling what I can control is the biggest thing. And the rest of it is it's racing. You know, it's not, we don't call it winning, call it racing. And um, just trying to control what I can control is hopefully what I can do better. Chastain acknowledged the 2021 season is going to be quite the learning experience for the rookies, especially considering they get no practice time on the majority of the tracks, only at the new tracks on the schedule. Well, I've just recently made my first laps uh, with with Chevy and their simulator um, at Coda. So that was eye-opening. I've done it some on iRacing and, and I'm still just trying to count to 20 because there's 20 turns and that's more than I've ever done. So those are challenging, um, you know, but I don't, I don't know on, on the other stuff, just, just getting into the rhythm of the season and just, just racing is, um, is going to be so difficult. That's all I can really focus on. And it'll just be, you know, working, um, you know, obviously preparing for the season, but just each race, it's just one race at a time. It's still a race car. These are still just racetracks and just, trying to, to maximize those weekends is, is the biggest thing and um, not getting too caught up on the Bristol dirt race, not getting too caught up on Coda. Um, I don't, I don't want to go perform bad, but I need to just, it's gotta be a bigger picture and just one week at a time. Now, everybody knows Chastain when he won his first Bush series race uh, a couple of years ago at Las Vegas, he smashed a watermelon in victory lane because they're watermelon farmers. Well, he says, he hopes to continue to do that. I love that I have something that actually means so much to me and my family. And, you know, to sit down and go home after we won that first race in Las Vegas and talk to my granddad. And he's, we're just sitting there eating a watermelon at his house. And he's just like, you just showed so many more people watermelons. And, you know, we believe that that will help more people buy watermelons and a rising tide raises all ships. And although they might not be buying one of our watermelons, it's something that our family lives on and it's our livelihood. So everybody, I don't think is going to have something as tangible and, and visual and, and as funny and makes as many, as many people smile as a watermelon. But yeah, I do think that that guys, you know, should put that effort in. I mean, but we, we all can't do backflips. We, you know, we all can't do, we all have to find our, our niche and it's no different than in, in life in general. So um, yeah, mine was, was a very natural, very easy fit um, and, and wasn't planned. So that's, that's what makes it even better. 
and it has evolved to some of y'all on this call were, were ones that were, um, I just held it up that first week. And then somebody was like, what are you going to do with it? And so go smash it. I guess we'll go smash it. And, um, so it just, it just evolves and that's what makes it so cool. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, no doubt about it. We are a traveling circus, right? I mean, it's kind of funny to say it out loud, but that's kind of how I view it in a, in a laughing, um, joking manner. Um, we come, we set up our tent, we perform our show, right? We compete, we pack it up and we go to the next town. So, um, why not, why not embrace it? Tired of a dirty car? Mr. Magic Car Wash will have your vehicle looking new again in just minutes, even those tough-to-clean wheels. Try us out at any one of our five convenient South Hills locations for a car wash you won't soon forget. Thanks to Mr. Magic for their support of Pittsburgh Racing. Now, if your car needs a bath, especially with this wonderful weather we've been having, check out any of the five Mr. Magic locations in the South Hills and mention that you heard about them on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Thanks also to our partners over at Three Rivers Karting, a great place to go have some fun inside, out of the cold. And hey, if you're a business or a business owner, it's a fantastic place to have a corporate event. And lastly, thank you to our partners over at Dirt Vision. The Dirt Vision Fast Pass lets fans enjoy all kinds of racing from all around the country. Click on the Dirt Vision logo over at pittsburghracingnow.com. That does it for this edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Extra special thanks to A.J. Flick, Michael McDowell, Kurt Busch, and Ross Chastain. And thanks to you, race fans, for joining us, too. Make sure you tell your friends about the podcast. Stay up on all the news, both locally and nationally, by clicking on PittsburghRacingNow.com every day. Any use or reproduction of this podcast without the expressed written consent of Pittsburgh Racing Now is strictly prohibited. Until next time, I'm Scott Stiller.